this data is moving into the cloud. And there are also a lot of big data analytics tools which enable you to uh, look at uh, hundreds of millions of uh, patients' full medical records and that can design some kind of platforms target towards different kind of disease area to make impact in weeks. Instead of you building a software that from the data design to the end, you might take um, six months, 12 months or something that really work, uh, especially for this field. This field is moving, evolving so fast. And if you really want to impact the patient's clinical care, you need to tie very specifically into this disease context and so on. So you need to continue adjusting what's needed. My name is Kashif, and this is BioRadio. A group of biologists turned bioinformaticians bring you into the world of research and development informatics by interviewing the people responsible for implementing systems and technologies to a unique and diverse set of use cases. Personalized medicine is a relatively new and better approach to healthcare based on an individual's unique genetic makeup. From an industry perspective, there's been a lot of excitement and enthusiasm in terms of personalized medicine. The ability to accurately identify patients that are more likely to respond to a particular treatment has been very appealing. However, a recent survey looked at drug pipeline portfolios of about 20 major companies and showed that only a very small minority included what could be called as stratified or personalized medicine. From data integration, management, analysis, and modeling, there are several informatics obstacles in developing personalized medicine from bench to bedside. From a technology standpoint, where are we with personalized medicine development? What are the primary challenges? And more importantly, how do we overcome these? To talk about this, today we're here with Rong Chen. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, thank you for the opportunities. So my name is uh, Rong Chen. I'm the assistant professor at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. And I have been uh, working on this genomics uh, area for the last uh, 20 years and pushing hard on um, by connecting all these uh, clinical data with genomic data and try to uh, figure out some solutions, engage with healthcare to improve this uh, personalized medicine. All right. Well, thank you, Rong, for joining us today. Um, I was looking back at my notes, and it looks like we probably met 10 or 15 years ago at Stanford uh, when you were doing uh, genomics research, and, and obviously you've been in the field for, for a number of years. Um, for starters, what has changed? You know, Personalized medicine, I was first introduced to it probably 15 years ago, or at least 15 years ago. Um, kind of looking at that uh, you know, mid-2000s to now, what has changed? How have we evolved? How has it gotten better? Um, I think the major change is now with um, um, the, all the hospitals now using electronic medical record. So now has all the detailed clinical information is all electronic recorded uh, widely for most of these hospitals and so on. And so looking back, um, on 1999, then we starting talk about these uh, personalized medicines, and then when we get uh, this uh, next generation sequencing of this uh, sequencing data, and we publish the first uh, uh, personal genome in 2010. At that time, we are looking at uh, looking at one human genomes, and creating the first personal genome report and listing based on your genomes what kind of risk this patient might have across often disease, the pharmacogenomics impact of the personal treatments and so on. Um, 
but like it's very difficult to really give uh, a very clear um, recommendation about the treatments or the disease risk when you only have a, a genome. When, because each of these disease all have these heterogeneities only if we have a, a millions of patients with the genomes as well as a deeply curated clinical information that we can subtyping into uh, this uh, genome phenome correlation, but then really get into this uh, this group of patients that uh, genomics information combined with clinical information, what kind of disease risk you have, what kind of treatments the impact and so on. So looking back in the last uh, 10 years, I think the biggest uh, improvement is now we have uh, clinical records or electronic recorded and starting to be able to create this uh, paradigm of uh, uh, hundreds of millions of patients with the genome sequence uh, connect with deeply uh, curated clinical informations to build this uh, genome phenome database to really interrogate, understand uh, how this genomic information can impact each patient's risk of disease for early interventions and so on. You talked about the uh the ubiquity of personalized genomes. How does the genomic disparity uh, play into personalized medicine? The original genome, Human Genome Project, was based on, uh, it was a scaffold and, and it was based on one individual. Uh, since then, we have a multitude of people that have their personal genomes and we're able to access that, right? You, you mentioned tens of thousands to create the cohort, like the clinical base. What does that do to find rare diseases in personalized genetics? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, first one is, um, in terms of a rare disease, now we, so most of these rare genetic disease, if you run a sequencing, you'll get, be able to get a much better early diagnosis and understanding whether there's any treatment to early interventions and so on. Um, so if you're looking at uh, the standard of care in the clinical settings, um, there are still a lot of uh, rare disease patients who are not get sent into the uh, the right training the physicians with understanding of this rare disease and get the sequencing and understanding. So when we're looking at uh, millions of patients' electromedical record, we have been able to see that that we can develop an algorithm and scan through uh, the electromedical record and identify which patients that uh, they highly likely have a rare genetic disease, and then thousands of them, them is they never really get diagnosed or inf inferred, uh, referred by these clinical genetics and so on. However, electronically, now we scan through uh, the whole healthcare electromedical record, we can identify them and then send them into the clinical genetic review. And what we find when we send them for a review, these clinical genetics, can get to an accuracy of like 90% and so on, say, yes, these patients, if I see it, I will order a diagonal genetic testing for them. And we can really uh, get to this, uh, shorten this diagonal odyssey for the rare genetic disease. And I do see uh, in the next uh, years or next few years and so on, uh, we will really be able to shorten this diagonal odyssey for rare genetic disease. Uh, this is one I see very fruitful from these uh, uh, personalized medicines. You, you talked about the journey of rare disease discovery and diagnostics or diagnosis, excuse me. 
um, or, I, or at least identification. What is the timeline? Uh, you mentioned that that's being abbreviated. What was the standard timeline and, and what is it being reduced to? Yeah, normally you're looking at like seven years and so on, just go through this uh, diagnosis odyssey, but different disease is somewhat differently. Um, now with this, so with the new technologies, they will have a lot of patients uh, even at uh, prenatal status, because of this larger scale carrier screening uh, for the pregnant women and so on, a lot of patients get, uh, even before they, uh, the baby was born, already kind of understanding might have a regional disease. And after the baby is born, uh, now has this uh, state uh, kind of uh, around newborn screening and a lot of patients, uh, newborn will get uh, this uh, diagnosis of a regional disease. And after they showing up the symptoms, now um, as we were just getting NIH award to do is uh, uh, we can quickly scan through the hole and then predict this patient and send to the undiagnosed disease program to get early diagnosis um, and so on. Um, but the other way is also, if we're looking at the prevalence of this, uh, let's say, less normal storage disease and so on, and then look at how many patients they indeed get treated, there's still a gap. There's still a lot of patients who will benefit with um, this. Uh, uh, if they get early diagnosis of the disease, they'll get uh, treated early and get early benefit. So there's still a lot of work to do and try to um, the identify this the right patient early and send into the uh, test and get early interventions. And just recently now, also like in uh, NICU status, uh, you can get very quickly to get to the hours to kind of sequence the whole genomes and getting uh, the clinical report, uh, getting diagnosed, uh, getting help. So a lot of exciting um, progress in the past uh, few years. So I was recently looking at an article. I read an article uh, back in August 2021, which talked about the use of ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers associated with COVID-19 outcomes particularly with uh, African-American patients. Uh, could you speak to why genomic disparities are important and how these impact things like COVID and, uh, and health outcomes? I mean, the, the first one is uh, we do need to increasing the uh, genomic sequencing on different um, uh, underrepresented uh, populations, right? So that's a clear one, but also because now with access to all these electromagnetic records, we're starting able to see, uh, are they more responding to the immunotherapy versus uh, the target therapy and others, right? So by able to the, look at the in a real world setting, uh, how these patients that uh, might benefit from what type of treatments or they have less access to different type of treatment that will already be helpful. But the other way is also, um, we need to encourage more of underrepresented patient populations into clinical trials so we can tailor towards identify what are the problems and how we solve for which patient populations. What is the need for personalized medicine? Why do we need a new approach for therapeutics and diagnostics in the first place, right? We've got plenty of chemical drugs. We've got small, um, you know, small, large molecule 
you know, biologics included, right? Why do we need personalized medicine? What, what is it that we're lacking that is demanding us to go in this direction of personalized medicine? That's a great question. Uh, I think the first one is these uh, early interventions. Um, because uh, a lot of disease is so difficult to treat because when we uh, get diagnosed, it's already too late. And so by using the genome information combined with the deeply curated the clinical data, like the symptom, and then the, these variables uh, from patient engagement, and so on, we'll be able to identify this patient with a high risk of the disease, no matter it's a rare genetic disease or it's a high risk of the cancer and others. So we can get to early interventions uh, that was, uh, has the highest impact in terms of improving the center of care. And the second one is also, um, especially like the cancer and so on, now we have a lot of target therapies now available that can uh, treat this patient with uh, much effective um, efficacies as well as a less adverse event and so on. And by sequencing the tumors, as well as followed with a liquid, uh, liquid biopsy kind of monitoring and so on, and these patients will be able to treat with uh, uh, target, the, the more of a, uh, targeted tumors therapeutics to get a better treatment, but also monitoring with the uh, liquid biopsy and see that what the, the, the need to change the treatments or a follow up and so on. Got it. And just to clarify, when you mentioned that diagnosis is too late, you mean when the symptoms appear in a diagnostic at that stage, it's too it's too late, and that you're you're the advantage of personalized medicine is the early diagnostic, uh, you know, before before a patient starts exhibiting specific phenotypes. Yeah. Um, so depend on different disease. Uh, so let's say rare rare genetic disease. Um, we have been seeing that there are a lot of patients, they do have some symptoms, but because there are 7,000 different regional disease, it's, uh, the primary physicians are not were trained to recognizing all these 7,000 different kind of regional disease. Therefore, these patients might have the symptoms, but it's just uh, not being recognized by the treating primary physicians and send these patients to the right specialist and getting early uh, diagnosis and so on. Traditionally, you had legacy monolithic approaches to biomarker discovery. You're now moving towards more multidimensional, longitudinal, um, clinical genomic, you know, multi-omic data uh, and, and building these dynamic models. What are the technology tools that you need in terms of capturing the data, managing it, processing it, doing the analysis, visualization, what, what are the different technology components that you need to go from raw data to clinical insight? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first one is uh, just uh, uh, data ingestions. So from all this, uh, each healthcare, how you have uh, um, like the, the technology that can go into all different kinds of uh, EMR systems and ingest all this data uh, the, and continue flowing into and getting it. And then the second, after you ingest all these uh, data, a lot of them are still in the unstructured physician nodes and, and so on. And how you the, go through these uh, billions of physician nodes, looking at the structure, unstructured site and understanding the 
the deep the, the, the diagnosis, the, the, the phenotypic information, uh, all these uh, uh, patients at the disease context. Uh, so that's the second one. And after you're getting all these uh, uh, data in, so uh, also the completeness of this data is a very challenging task. Um, when you go into community kind of hospitals and so on, yes, there uh, a lot of these uh, uh, physician nodes are scanned PDF. And in terms of this uh, uh, OCT based to kind of capture all this from the scanned PDF to get the information you need it. Um, after you're getting all this deeply curated uh, clinical data into a structured form, and then you need to also uh, uh, looking into all this uh, genomics data, which come from the clinical testing, uh, research sequencing, uh, different kind of sequencing types and so on, how you aggregate all this data in a clean form, uh, the storage and so on, and then you connect these. After you connect all these together, uh, how you interpret running the right, uh, the building the right kind of machine learning models and so on to understanding um, what is the uh, potential target and so on. Um, and then after this, how you really also uh, subtracting all these patients to the right stratifications and understanding what is the target the specific for these subtypes and, and so on. And then all these informations also how you deliver to uh, the ph pharmaceutical companies to really help accelerate this drug discovery, as well as uh, how you uh, getting all this data um, back into the healthcare, deliver into the, um, let's say, the molecular tumor board to helping the physicians uh, tailor the best tailor the treatments for these patients, uh, you also need a lot of uh, uh, left side. So this uh, whole process of the data ingestion, data objections, uh, data collections, uh, data storage, uh, and interpret all these data, as well as uh, uh, the data delivery and engagement of these uh, uh, patients and physicians for the tailored uh, best clinical care and how you impact the standard of care, each of these steps or using all different kinds of technologies and also one highlighting because we now all this data is moving into the cloud. And there are also a lot of big data analytics tools which enable you to uh, look at uh, hundreds of millions of uh, patients, full medical records, and that can design some kind of platforms target towards different kind of disease area to make impact in weeks. Instead of you building a software that from the data design to the end, you might take um, six months, 12 months or something that really work, uh, especially for this field. This field is moving, evolving so fast. And if you really want to impact the patient's clinical care, you need to tie very specifically into this disease context and so on. So you need to continue adjusting what's needed. And these kind of big, uh, big analytical tools now is really being applied into the healthcare and starting to make this, uh, uh, the, the learning uh, process much faster. Got it. So if, if I understand correctly, there are roughly six stages there's, or steps. There's the ingestion, abstraction, 
aggregation, storage, interpretation, and then the delivery. Uh, did I capture that correctly? Yes. That's okay. a and then, good summary. So on the technology side, there, there are two things happening uh, from, from my vantage point, right? So there's definitely the instrumentation, the type of experimental data that researchers are able to generate is, is accelerating, right? Uh, I mentioned Sanger sequencing and microarrays going on to next-gen short read to long read to single cell technologies happening. There's much, there's a lot happening on, on the, uh, the, the cell biology side, for instance, with uh, cell sorting and things like that. Uh, and then in, in a separate avenue, there's quite a bit of acceleration happening uh, and, and has occurred moving from paper-based electronic, uh, paper-based to electronic medical records and um, uh, EHR, EMR systems, right? Where do you see more technological advances happening in the future? Uh, and how do you accommodate for new data types, right? As you're structuring this data, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you future-proof whatever systems, models that you're developing so that you can take in new technologies that are just beyond the horizon? Yeah, that's a um, great question. Um, I think one is uh, uh, with all these uh, large scale clinical genome data together, a lot of hypotheses that can be generated. And let's say for cancer patients, because we now it's a standard of care sequence the, the tumor, uh, the whole exons, whole transcriptomes, even whole genomes, and we will see these uh, patients might benefit uh, for this uh, existing target therapy. Um, however, to put this into the clinical report, you have to follow the clinical guidelines uh, the, to, to get uh, the right uh, treatments onto it, especially sometimes that uh, uh, might not really have enough uh, literature and clinical study evidence for this. Uh, so I, I see also now has a lot of uh, um, the like a screening experiment, you can quickly to measure whether um, with this type of mutation or the uh, com combination of the mutations that patients might respond to these drugs. You can uh, put, put this into the right cell lines and screen all these drugs and uh, showing that uh, these patients will benefit uh, from these drugs. I see a lot of promising from that side um, that if the, the speed could go much faster as well as with lower cost, uh, I think it will improve uh, more in terms of the deliver right treatments for these uh, cancer patients. So th the second part of that question was how do you accommodate new data types, right? How do you future-proof your models and your systems, your databases, et cetera, to, uh, to be able to incorporate new types of data that, that aren't yet known, new data formats, new data files, uh, just a, a data standard? So now uh, starting to have a lot of common data models that starting to set up the standard. Uh, even you have a new data type, you can kind of uh, uh, plug into these uh, standard common data models. And, and also there are a lot of uh, um, technology, you were automatically recognizing the uh, different data types and to make these connections. 
And so this also has been uh, this kind of setting the standard, automatically recognizing all different kind of data type together. Uh, I also see a lot of uh, promising uh, technology uh, the improvement in the last uh, uh, five years and so on. When it comes to personalized medicine, right, we're talking about large data sets, right, where, where it's clinical data pulling in from EHR, EMR systems. We have a deluge of genomic data, single cell, NGS, perhaps proteomic or metabolomic data. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is big data, right? Uh, how, how are you dealing with the data storage, the visualization, the integration, uh, the processing of data? Like, what does that look like from from uh, from a research standpoint and understanding that this is all clinical. So you also have, you know, regulatory requirements and audit and, and that sort of thing. How, how do you deal with that from just a pure IT technology standpoint? Yeah. Um, so with this, it does put a huge pressure on the infrastructures in terms of uh, uh, how you can handle, even save uh, storage these uh, uh, millions of uh, uh, whole exon, whole transcriptome sequencing and connect with all these. But uh, also uh, how you, all these uh, data is all PHI and how you save in a way that you can um, safely uh, go into this, uh, save all this data with the right privacy, the right data governance, and then right, uh, 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 approvals uh, and so on. Um, that needs a whole kind of IT, large IT team to really handle all this. Um, and in terms of the technologies, now uh, all this data going to the cloud. I'm not an IT expert, but uh, what I see is uh, that there are a lot of new technologies, but you really need to have a specialized uh, uh, infrastructure security IT expert to managing all these systems and making sure that uh, uh, all this data is safe, uh, compliant, and but also can enable uh, the efficient usage of this data to deliver, improve the standard of care. Personalized medicine uh, was sort of defined as the right treatment at the right time for the right patient. Uh, from your vantage point, from your view, what, how do you define personalized medicine? So it, it, definitely, the, I totally agree that personal medicine is really getting the, the right treatment at the right time for the right patients. Um, it's uh, more put into the practice uh, uh, aspect. Uh, what I see is uh, we really need to uh, identify building a better model to identify patients with uh, high risk and get to uh, early interventions before that become too severe and hard to treat it. And then after these patients uh, that is already get diagnosed with this disease, uh, can we subtyping this patient into the right subgroups and finding the target therapies that tailored towards this group of patients to getting the treatments and then also uh, monitoring these patients to see whether these treatments is working and whether these treatments are starting to having the problem getting the resistance 
and the change the treatments uh, right ways. And so following these, so overall, I would say early uh, the identify the high risk of the disease for early interventions and finding the tailored treatment for these patients, as well as uh, monitoring the progression of the disease and getting the right treatment sequence for these patients. Thank you for listening to BioRadio. I'd like to thank Rong for being our guest today, talking about the realities of personalized medicine. I'd also like to thank the listeners. To join the conversation, visit our blog, biorad.io, and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast is an original creation of Biorad Laboratories. Biorad is a trademark of Biorad Laboratories Incorporated in certain jurisdictions. All trademarks mentioned herein are the property of their respective owner.